Welcome to Fair Folk. I'm Danica Boyce. Halloween opens the gate to winter, the darker, elder half of the year. According to the English chronicler Bede, October was known in Old English as Winterfilleth, as in the full moon of winter. This name's reference to winter may seem strange, here at the height of autumn and months before the winter solstice, but Winterfilleth derives its name from the old Germanic reckoning of the year, where there were only two seasons— winter, when the nights grow and remain longer than the days, and summer, when the days stretch longer than the nights. And there's something fitting about the fact that winter is one of the oldest seasonal words in the Germanic vocabulary, which, as you probably know, forms a good portion of the English language. Often used in Old and Middle English as a metaphor for hardship, winter may not be the year's friendlier half, but it makes up for that in fierceness. Likewise, in Celtic cultures, from which we derive most of our modern Halloween traditions, Samhain marked the end of summer and the beginning of winter, and just as many ancient European traditions celebrated a holiday beginning the night before, which is why we have so many holidays with an eve, early Celtic and Germanic peoples both measured the beginning of a year with its winter. When you consider its intensity, its power over life and death, its ability to clarify the landscape and gather people together, It's no surprise that, in both the Celtic and Germanic traditions, winter comes first. And at this moment of initiation, there's a strange and powerful confluence between the presence of ancestors, of deities, and of supernatural, superpotent beings across Northern European folklore. Passing through winter's gate, we set out, we animals, plants, and people, on a perilous journey into the underworld, a domain ruled by death. We don the blindfold and step down into the darkness to visit the dim and twisted roots of the tree of life. Among those roots linger bone-shaking cold, decay, all of the losses we have suffered, and the perilous danger of our own unknowing. But also in this fertile soil, We discover all the loved ones that have passed, among scraps of arcane knowledge and song, and all the seeds of what's to grow someday in the far distant spring. The striking thing about this Samhain feast is that no matter the time period or place, and whether it finds its expression in pagan, Christian, or secular custom, in its basic elements, this holiday looks curiously similar. This pan-historical community of beings, the fairy, the witch, the spirit, and the saint, all gather together this night to offer us the spooky, holy, hybrid feast that children and adults alike adore. And we are more than happy to accept this gift from its obscure givers. To celebrate Halloween is to feast and play games, to go door to door in disguise, to light fires of remembrance, to meditate on death, to thrill at the fear of the supernatural, and to dip lightly into that pool of otherworldly influence to see if one can't obtain the smallest glimpse of the future. There's a deep and age-old sense of the thinness of the veil at this crossroads of the year, as though the calendar were made of vellum and folded too many times so that it begins to perforate at the two seams. Be it the fairy mound, the grave, purgatory or elfin land, the place where the non-human dwells rides up alongside our own for a brief window of time on All Hallows' Eve. 
in Scotland and Ireland particularly, there was a widespread folk belief that the fairies lived among humans, making their homes inside the fairy hills and forts that dot the landscape. At Halloween, one must take great care and not travel alone at night, for instance, for fear of being kidnapped by these not-so-friendly fairies. A saying from the Hebrides sums up the situation. Halloween will come, will come. Witchcraft will be set, a-going. Fairies will be, at full speed, avoid the road, children, children. The fairy cavalcade that rode across the land every Halloween was bound for hell, where once every seven years the king or queen of fairy must pay a tithe to the devil, which usually consisted of a human offering. To protect yourself from kidnapping by the fairies, in Scotland you could surround yourself with rowan branches. The fairies of Ireland are repelled by black-handled knives worn on the person and talismans placed on doors made of crossed sticks lashed together with straw. If someone you knew did happen to get kidnapped into a fairy mound, there was a way to get access to this underground palace, if you dared. Here's how it works in Scotland. On Halloween at midnight, you must simply walk counterclockwise nine times around the hill. Then, if you're lucky, or more probably unlucky, a door would open, and you'd be admitted to the hill, and in all likelihood, never seen again. The ballad of King Orfeo describes how he found himself in the uncomfortable position of having to travel into a fairy hill after the king of fairies took a liking to his love Isabel and stole her away to live with him in fairyland. Orfeo enters unknown and plays the harp for the king of fairies. He charms him so much with his repertoire that the king asks what he would like in return. I would like Isabel back, please, Orfeo says. The fairy king agrees, and Orfeo and Isabel live happily ever after, presumably. This song is medieval in origin, and derives from the even older Greek story of Orpheus and Eurydice, where Orpheus must travel to Hades in an attempt to retrieve his lover. The melody to this song was collected much later than the lyrics, in the mid-twentieth century, on the island of Unst, from a certain Mr. Stickle. Regarding the refrain, which you'll hear is an inscrutable mix between Scots-English and Middle Danish, Mr. Stickle said, Have you ever heard anything as nonsensical as this? There's something very cool about the mixture of the two languages in this song. The weird refrain, preserved delicately between the verses, despite the fact that for centuries, to everyone who sang it, it was pure nonsense. Here it is sung by Alva, in harmonies that could enchant the fairies themselves, just as King Orfeo did. There was a king lived in the east, scowling on the green. There lived a lady in the west, wagyochten and grunolag. This king, he has a hunting gun, scowling on the green. And he's left his lady Isabel alone, wagyochten and grunolag. Oh, I wish you'd never gone away, scowling all the green. For at your home is dull and way, wagyochten and grunolag. For the king of fairy with his dart, scowling all the green, has pierced your lady to the heart, wagyochten and grunolag. And after them the king has gone, Scowling all the green, but where they came it was a grey stone. Wagyochten 
and Brunon Lag. Then he took out his pipes to play, Scowen on the grin, but saw his heart with dull and way. Wagiochten and Brunon Lag. And first he's played the notes of Noi, Scowen on the grin. And then he's played the notes of joy, Wagiochten and Brunon Lag. And then he's played a good gabarel, Scowen on the grin. That might have made a sick heart heal, Wagiochten and Brunon Lag. Now come you in into our hall, Scowen on the grin. And come you in among us all, Wagiochten and Grunon Lag. Then he's gone in into their hall, Scowen on the grin. And he's gone in among them all, Wagiochten and Grunon Lag. Then he's took out his pipes to play, Scowen on the grin. But saw his heart with dull and way, Wagiochten and Grunon Lag. And first he played the notes of Noi, Scowen on the grin. And then he's played the notes of Joy, Wagiochten and Grunon Lag. And then he's played a good gabarel, Scowen on the grin. That might have made a sick heart heal, Wagiochten and Grunor Lag. Now tell to us what you will have, Scowen on the grin. What shall we give you for your play, Wagiochten and Grunor Lag? What I will have, I will you tell, Scowen on the grin. And that's my lady Isabel, Wagiochten and Grunon Lag. You take your lady and you go home, Scowen on the grin. And you'll be king of all your own, Wagiochten and Grunon Lag. He's taken his lady and he's gone home, Scowen on the grin. And now he's king of all his own, Wagiochten and Grunon Lag. Among all this danger and uncertainty, it's a blessing that October is the time when fire, the warm, cheery, life-giving fire, comes back indoors with us to keep us company perches in every window, hangs from our travelling staff to light our way home. In Scotland, Ireland, and to a lesser degree England, Halloween traditions involving fire are some of the oldest and most vividly recalled, even while remaining the most thoroughly mysterious in their origin. In Scotland, on Samhain, one could see bonfires blazing on high points all over the country. These bonfires were lit from need fire, that is, they were lit using only the friction of wood against wood to create a spark. These were sacred fires, with the purpose of thanksgiving for the harvest and purification and blessing of the land and spirits. They also served the aim of keeping the fairies at bay on the night of their great cavalcade. In the old tradition, everyone in the village would put out their fires on this day and relight them from the sacred need fire, which was shared all across the community. 
These fires were often lit on top of cairns, in effect knitting the living presence of the ancestors into the hearth of every household in the village. In much of the northern hemisphere, this month is the time that the hearth fire of a home would be lit again continuously for the winter season. So these ancestor fires would blaze all winter long, warming young and old together, providing a bright center to the home and the long dark evenings to come. There's a more recent tradition on All Souls Day in Ireland, Sweden, England, Lithuania, and elsewhere of visiting the graves of relatives, bearing candles, decorating those graves, and leaving the candles glittering there to light the night. In many regions of Scotland, people would gather dried plant matter and wrap it around the end of sticks to make torches, lit from the need fire, which they would parade around the boundaries of their farmsteads, sunwise, to cleanse and protect them from the negative influence of witches, fairies, or other threatening beings. This family of fire-bearing rituals is closely related to the modern North American custom of trick-or-treating. In Scotland and Ireland, on Samhain long past, boys and men would dress up in masks or women's clothing, or they'd blacken their faces, and go door-to-door demanding apples, hazelnuts, money, or cake. Some of these so-called geysers were very pushy indeed, and might enter the house to sit all over the kitchen and floor, singing and conversing, all the while entirely ignoring the people inside the house. What connects these geysers to the sacred fire tradition is the fact that, in advance of this evening, they would have a little craft day and take a large turnip, known as a rutabaga or a swede, hollow it out, and make holes in it. In Ireland, these turnips might be carved with ghastly faces, like our modern jack-o'-lantern. As you might guess, they popped a candle end in these turnips and bore their vegetable lanterns with them all through the town as they went about their guising. In England, this occasion was known as Punky Night, and the house visitors, children in later years, would carve their turnips in the most elaborate images, sometimes faces, sometimes flowers, or even ships at sail. The story, which is told in variants in southwestern England, was that early November, the adults were on their way home from a nearby fair at night when they became disoriented in a heavy fog. They happened to be in a field when it happened, so somebody suggested that they hollow out some of the turnips there and make themselves some lanterns to light their way home. These lanterns are still believed to protect their bearers from evil spirits. You could say that the essence of the jack-o'-lantern, kindled symbolically by the need fire, lit on a cairn, is the very fruit fertilized by our ancestors in the earth and lit up by the flame of their enduring spirits. As children visit the houses in Hinton St. George bearing their lanterns, they sing this song for their coins, performed here by Wythe and Stone. Give us a candle, give us a light. If you don't, you'll get the fright. Having the candle, the penny's all right. It's ours to ask a monkey night. With the other world so close at hand on the evening of All Hallows, it's no surprise that countless divinatory customs have developed to be used this night in particular. Divination, at its root, is a gesture of reaching out to other-than-human forces to channel our human emotions, which feel at times too big to manage in one human life. Emotions like 
for instance, young love. The majority of Halloween divinations are predictive of one's future relationship status. A popular form of Halloween divination from Scotland was to visit, unseen, a south-running stream on the boundary between three properties, and dip the left sleeve of your shirt into the water, soaking it. You must then go home and hang it somewhere near a fire, and lay down inside of it, keeping watch until midnight. You'll then see the form of your future partner walk across the room to turn over your shirt and help it dry its other side. Tam Glen, a ballad written by Robert Burns, refers to this form of divination performed by a young woman who's promised to a certain brutish laird, but whose heart belongs to the young man Tam Glen. As she keeps watch on her stream-soaked shirt at midnight, she sees the likeness of a man approach the house, wearing the same grey breeches as her love. This is Tam Glen, performed by Jean Redpath. My heart is a breaking, dear Teddy, some counsel unto me, come Len. Te anger them all is a pity, but what will I do with Tam Glen? I'm thinking we sick a braw fellow In Portith I might mark a fen What care I in riches to wallow If I'm an merry tamglen There's Lowrie the laird o' the miller Good day to ye brit, he comes ben He brags and he blows all his cellar But when will he dance like Tam Glen? My mini does constantly deave me And bids me beware of young men They flutter, she says, to deceive me But walk and think, say, oh Tam Glen Last Halloween I was walking 
nostalgia for a childhood when one could go door-to-door begging for treats, when the grown-ups of the community deviated entirely from their usual behavior and gave out candy to strange children. There used to be particular dishes prepared specifically for the young on All Hallows' Eve, served at home or by friendly neighbors to geysers. These dishes, usually something mashed or porridge-like, concealed symbolic objects that held special meaning for the people who found them in their bowl or spoonful. In the mix, there would be a coin, a ring, and a button. The coin meant the lucky receiver would become rich. The ring meant they would be married before the next Halloween, and the button meant they would be a bachelor. That is, they would be sewing their own buttons for the rest of their life. In Scotland, this dish was made by whipping cream and then adding raw barley or oatmeal. In Ireland, it was the familiar staple colcannon, made of cooked cabbage and potatoes, butter, raw onions and on Halloween, a fair dose of hope. This is Colcannon by the Black Family. Well, did you ever make Colcannon made with lovely pickle cream? With the greens and scallions mingle like a picture in a dream. Did you ever make a hole on top to hold the melting flake of the creamy flavoured butter that our mothers used to make? Oh, you did, so you did, so did he, and so did I. And the more I think about it, sure, the nearer I'm to cry. Oh, where and then the happy days when troubles we knew not And our mothers made cold cannon in the little skillet pot Well, did you ever take potato cake and boxed it to the school? Tucked underneath your oxter with your books, your slate and rule And when teacher wasn't looking, sure a great big bite you'd take Of the creamy flavoured soft and melt and sweet potato cake Oh, you did, so you did, so did he, and so did I. And the more I think about it, sure, the nearer I'm to cry. Oh, weren't them the happy days when troubles we knew not? And our 
mother's maid called Cannon in the little skillet pot. Well, did you ever go a courtin', boys, and the evening sun went down, and the moon began a peepin' from behind the hill of down, and you wandered down the boring where the chloricon was seen, and you whispered love and praises to your own dear sweet Colleen. Oh, you did, so you did, so did he, and so did I, and the more I think about it, sure the nearer I to cry. Oh, and then the happy days when troubles we knew not And our mother's maid called Cannon in the little skillet pot Oh, you did, so you did, so did he and so did I And the more I think about it, sure the nearer I to cry Oh, and then the happy days when troubles we knew not And our mother's maid called Cannon in the little skillet pot We may attribute the nostalgia we feel around this time solely to a longing for childhood innocence, but in fact, nostalgia is, and always has been, a key factor in celebrations of Halloween. Samhain, Nordic Winter Nights, and the Christian All Saints and All Souls Day all have as their central premise the theme of death. The oldest celebration of this festival, in all of those locations, took the form of a feast and sacrifices or food offerings in honour of loved ones who have died. The ballad, The Wife of Usher's Well, tells the story of a mother who has sent her sons away to the North Country, a place associated with death, to learn their grammary, which in this context likely means magic. In their absence, they die. In the older versions of this song, On Old Michaelmas Eve, at that time October 31st, the mother casts a spell compelling her sons to return to her. They appear, and she sets a feast for them to eat. They refuse her food and drink, however, saying they cannot eat because they are dead, and now, at the break of day, they must return to their graves. This is a deeply affecting performance of Wife of Usher's Well by Alfred Deller and the Deller Consort. There was a woman, she lived alone, some baby she and three, she sent them off to the Mahamali to learn a grammarly. They hadn't been Christmas time, the night 
The feast table that the wife of Usher's Well set for her three little babes is part of a matrix of images of community sharing that perhaps strangely typifies this death-associated holiday. Various animal grazing customs from around this time point to the fact that there was once a tradition that no land was private on Samhain, just for this one night. All over Europe there are traditions of giving to the poor at this time, who in Poland would congregate in graveyards to receive gifts of fruit, cakes, and other foods. These poor people were believed to represent the dead among the living. Any gift given to them on this day was believed to benefit the souls of those who had passed away. The bonfires burned this evening in England, probably derived from the Samhain fires of the Celtic nations, were in Catholic times interpreted not as protection against fairies or purification, but as a beacon, a light by which the lost souls might warm themselves and find their way out of purgatory. The related custom of souling, or going door to door and singing very old songs and requesting soul cakes, bears the same purpose. Whatever the residents gave to the soulers, whether the round, flat, soul cakes, or nuts, fruit, and money, these gifts were assumed to have been given to the dead, via the hands and mouths of these Halloween visitors. This is a traditional souling song, sung here by the Watersons. A soul, a soul, a soul cake, please, good missus, a soul cake. An apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry, and any good thing to make us merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, three for him that made us all. 
God bless the master of this house and the mistress also, and all your little children that round the table grow. Likewise your men and maidens, your cattle and your store, and all that dwells within your gates, we wish you ten times more. A soul, a soul, a soul cake, please good missus, a soul cake. Apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry, or any good thing to make us merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, three for him that made us all. The lanes are very dirty and my shoes are very thin. I've got a little pocket I can put a penny in. If you haven't got a penny, a halfpenny will do. If you haven't got a halfpenny, then God bless you. A soul, a soul, a soul cake. Please, good missus, a soul cake. Apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry, or any good thing to make us merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, three for him that made us all. If Halloween is any one thing, it is the yearly recognition that something immaterial draws nearer at this time, often attempting to make contact with us. The gathering in that happened in the fields and cellars now takes place on the spiritual plane, pulling the spirits of our kin closer to us. In Lithuania, the traditional celebration of Velenus, the Day of Spirits, consisted of a feast in honor of the dead, as it did in many places in Europe. A rich table would be covered with food, and places would be set for the most recent or important dead from the household. A speech inviting the spirits of the dead to join would open the meal, and food would be placed on their plate to demonstrate that these souls were welcome here. The dead were believed to dwell especially in the corners of the room, and also at the corners of the table, places that imitate with their shape the intersection between two worlds. An older name for Velenus is Ilgus, which in English means long, and it bears the same double meaning in Lithuanian as it does in English, indicating both the long nights of this season and also the deep longing that people feel for their loved ones who are no longer physically present. The songs sung around this time in Lithuania include a collection sung from the perspective of orphans. These songs describe the grieving of a child who has lost their parent. In this one, by Loretta Mukete, a girl expresses the sorrow of having lost her mother. I will go to the graves, she says, and moan like a cuckoo, asking my mother to come back to me, and calm my little heart. Eve, you're not 
Songs about lost love and longing are perfectly at home in the season of late fall, and the time when the fertility of the land is at an end, but human courtship is given a boost by the cold weather and close quarters. This next song is one of the few in English folk tradition that mentions Halloween specifically. Faithful Johnny consists of an address by a passionate woman to her absent lover Johnny. She asks when he will return to her, and he assures her that he will be back when the leaves are withered and once the corn is gathered. But, missing him sorely, she asks again, When will you come home, my faithful Johnny? And he answers her, saying, Though the night be dark with drift, that I cannot see the light, and though the night be Halloween, when the fearful sights are seen, I will come again. I only hope this song is not subtly implying, based on the season, that her Johnny will return to her as a ghost. This is Bryony Griffith and Will Hampson. When will ye come again, my faithful Johnny? When will ye come again, my faithful Johnny?
The last song in this Halloween episode of Fair Folk is one that, for me, summarizes the sentiments of All Hallows' Eve. A sense of crossing over, of devotion to loved ones, of fear of the unknown, and of generosity for the dead and less fortunate. It speaks to a perilous journey to the underworld. On Halloween, it could be addressed to nature itself. This is the chilling and beautiful Like Wake Dirge by the Young Tradition. This ain't neat, this ain't neat, any neat and all. Fire and fleet and candle neat, and Christ receive thy soul. If thou from here away dost pass, any neat and all, to Winnie-Moor thou comest at last, and Christ receive thy soul. If thou gavest ever housen or shoon, any neat and all, then sit ye doon and put them on, and Christ receive thy soul. But if hosen or shoon thou ne'er gavest nain, any neat and all, the winny will prick thee to thy bare pain, and Christ receive thy soul. If thou from there away dost pass, any neat and all, to purgatory fire thou comes at last, and Christ receive thy soul. If thou gavest ever meat or drink, any neat and all, the fire will never make thee shrink, and Christ receive thy soul. But if meat or drink thou gavest name, any neat and all, the fire will burn thee to thy bare pain, and Christ receive thy soul. Fair Folk is a podcast and radio show devoted to bringing folk tradition to life. If you want even more of the podcast and more seasonal lore besides, please consider subscribing to my Patreon, where I post an extra-monthly almanac podcast about the folklore of each month. Please also rate the podcast on iTunes, and most importantly, share it with your friends. That's how people find out about it. My goal for this year is to begin making Fair Folk full-time, and thanks to my current Patreon subscribers, I'm already two-thirds of the way to making that happen. You can visit patreon.com slash fairfolkcast if you feel inspired to help me reach my goal. Thank you to those whose music graced this episode, especially Sylvia Woods, whose song Forest March is Fair Folk's opening theme. I hope you have a beautiful Halloween season, 
with plenty of sacred fire and ancestral magic, and that you enjoy the generosity of friends, strangers, and spirits alike. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>